The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, well, well. Good evening and happy New Year's or New Year's Eve. You made it. (laughs) You made it. You can give yourselves a hand. We've made it to 2023. That is incredible. Um, Another year under our belts, and I'm happy to to report we are a whole another year closer to the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Oh, Lord, come quickly. The name of our church is Maranatha, and that's our prayer, too, that the Lord would come. That's what Maranatha means, and and we're a church that is longing for and looking expectantly, waiting and anticipating the day when Jesus comes back. And I am so excited to share with you what the Lord has given me for our church in this upcoming year. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke's gospel, the second chapter. Let's bow our heads, let's pray and invite the Lord to speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit, and we recognize that you're among us, that you're here, you're with us right now, gracing us with your presence, inviting us into a deeper place in our own walk and journey with you. I pray that you would remove all distractions over the next few moments as we sit at your feet, as we soak up your word, as we meditate on the the promises of God and and seek you in the scriptures, Lord. We thank you that you are all over this book and you're on every page, you're in every story, you're the point of every passage. And, And so, Jesus, we pray that you might illuminate our hearts and bring understanding to our minds so that we walk in closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray together. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So it was now a year ago um, that I preached a New Year's message here at Maranatha. And at the time, I had no idea what the Lord had in store for our church. Um, And I I preached a message um, on the new thing that God was going to do in, in 2022. And uh, it turned out to be absolutely prophetic, and I had no idea what the Lord had in mind, but, but one thing I can say is that, you know, this journey over the last year has been uh, one where I've experienced and encountered the presence of the Lord at, at a closeness and to a depth that I didn't know was possible. I've walked with the Lord now for a couple of decades, but it was, it was this last year where Jesus became more real to me than he ever has been before. And... And I just want to say thank you to you guys for going on this journey with me. As a church, God has led us through this wilderness. And, and so that was a year ago. And then it was a couple weeks later that I ended up preaching on the word that God had given to my father for 2022. And it was the word breakthrough, a wonderful word and a powerful word. I know that I've experienced a number of personal breakthroughs in my own life, and I believe that many of you have experienced breakthroughs in different areas of your life as well. And and so each year we ask, and I ask, I seek the Lord, and the pastor of this church will seek the Lord and, and say, God, what is it that you want to speak over our house? And 
And I believe he has a specific word that pertains to us as a congregation. Now, I do want to encourage each of you to go in and ask the Lord, what's your word for me? Because he'll have a personal word for you, and we'll get into that. But he also has a word for this house. And so the word that God has given me for this house in this new year, 2023, is the word promise. God has a promise with your name on it. Amen. So help me preach this message by turning to the person on your right and on your left and just tell them God has a promise for you. There's this beautiful scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and, and I'd love to kind of set the table with it. So will you read this out loud with me? Peter writes, through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Notice what he says. He, that is God, has given us very great and precious promises. I love that description of the promises of God. There are, in this book, someone went through the trouble of counting them. There are more than 7,000 promises from God. And God has given us access as his kids to each and every one of these promises. I mean, 7,000, that's a lot. Not just one or two or a dozen 7,000 of them, and each one is like a blank check that is just waiting to be cashed. But if you carry that metaphor out, you think about a check, a check doesn't do you any good as long as it's sitting in your pocket, right? You have to take the check to the bank and you have to deposit it. Then you have access to the money. You realize the potential of that check once you deposit it. And so, too, the other part of this that's really important is understanding whose name is written on the check, right? I mean, if I write you a check for a million dollars, it's not going to do you any good. It's just going to bounce as soon as you try to cash it. But if Elon Musk writes you a check for a million dollars, now that's a different story. Why? Because of his name, because of his Nature, who he is, validates the worth of that check. And you can cash that, and you can take it to the bank. Well, guess what? With every promise that God has spoken, the name Jesus has been attached to it. And every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. So tonight, we're going to look at the story of a man who believed and received a specific promise from God. And what we're going to do is in the process of doing that, we're going to learn how we can receive our own promise from God. Why? Because every one of us has a promise from God with our name on it. We're going to learn how to walk in those promises and see them fulfilled in our lives. So let's go ahead and begin reading here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. All right, so we have this experience, this encounter described here by Luke, the author of this gospel. It takes place just eight days after Jesus was born. Now, in the preceding verses, we're told that Mary and Joseph went to the temple in accordance with the law. You see, there was a law that said on the eighth day, every Jewish male-born child had to be circumcised. And there were also offerings that you would present to the Lord as a means of dedicating your child to God. And traditionally, the offering that you would give would include a lamb. However, there was a provision made in the law for those who were too poor to afford a lamb, and so they instead could bring two doves and offer those as a sacrifice because doves were much cheaper. And and the fact that Mary and Joseph brought doves serves as an indication of their status. They were both very poor. But on this day, as they make their way through the temple, they're approached by a, a stranger, an elderly man. He asks if he can hold their baby. How would you feel, moms, if you've got a brand newborn and some strange old man says, can I hold your baby? Well, anyways, Simeon takes the child in his arms. He lifts him up and he speaks this beautiful prophecy over him that we just read. The whole scene is is electrically charged. It's beautiful. It's surreal and maybe more than a little bit strange for Mary and Joseph. And it says they marveled at what was said about their son, Jesus. It's that word, thamazo. It means they were flabbergasted. They just taking it all in. So who was this mysterious character named Simeon? Well, we, we, we don't know much about him. I mean, he's not a well-known character in the Gospels. And we're not told much about him here. For instance, we don't know where he came from. We don't know anything about his background. We don't know anything about his his job or his upbringing or who his parents were or what he did for a living. Everything we know about him is what we learn here. I mean, he briefly appears on the stage of Jesus' life story and then disappears almost as quickly, never to be seen or heard from again. And yet... While his story might be brief, there's a lot that we can learn from him about walking in the promises of God. So let's walk through some of those things. The first thing we learn in verse 25 is is that he was older. Now, I'm inferring this. I'm reading this into the text on the basis of the fact that it tells us Simeon would receive this word from the Spirit that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Messiah. Now, it's not typically you would, something you would say or share with a young person. So we can piece together that he was more than likely elderly. The next thing we're told about him there in verse 25 is that he was righteous and devout. What a beautiful description of any person. I mean, how would you like someone to describe you using those words? Righteous and devout. To be righteous is to be just or fair. You have a right standing before your fellow man. To be devout is to be committed, heart, soul, mind, and body, 
to the things of the Lord. In a nutshell, we could describe Simeon in this way. Simeon was a godly man. So that's the second thing we learn about him. He's old, he's righteous or godly. And then the third thing we learn about him in our story is that he was filled with holy anticipation. Our text says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a beautiful phrase, the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, it's an Old Testament reference to the coming of the Messiah, the one who would console God's people, bring peace to this world. Jesus is the one who will console every hurting heart, every troubled heart, every grieving heart. He is the consolation of Israel. And Simeon was waiting for him to show up. And we're given insight into why he was specifically waiting. The Spirit had told him that he wouldn't die until he'd personally seen the Lord. And this is the promise. God gave Simeon a spectacular promise. You're not going to die, Simeon, until you've seen with your own two eyes the source and the hope of your salvation. That's basically his whole story in a nutshell. He's given a a promise from the Lord. He believes the promise, and then he receives the fulfillment of that promise. And I was looking through this story, actually in preparation for Christmas, and just kind of reading through the Christmas story, and it struck me, wow, this is the word God has given me for our church, and this specific word that God gives him is interesting. And let me explain why. You see, there are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that concerned the Lord's first coming. And these prophecies, they functioned like a detailed address or a map that God's people could follow that would help them narrow their search so that when the Messiah showed up, there wouldn't be any guesswork involved, that it would lead them directly to his doorstep. And so everything from the line and lineage of his birth and who his parents would be and what tribe they would come from and, and the fact that he would be born in Bethlehem and that he would be born to a virgin and that he'd be from the tribe of Judah and that he'd be preceded by a forerunner and, and so many details that the search gets narrower and narrower until it lands on one person. There are 300 prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming. But here's what's interesting. You'll not find one of those prophecies that references Simeon by name. There's no chapter or verse in the Old Testament where God says, and before this guy named Simeon dies, he's going to see the Messiah. So what do I take from that? Well, this was a a very personal and specific promise that God gave to one of his servants. Now, we've talked before about the the corporate promises. There are over 7,000 of them, and every one of them is yes and amen, and you can take them to the bank, and they're they're very great, and they're exceedingly precious. But I want to share with you this thought tonight. This was revolutionary to me, and hopefully it will be to you as well. That he doesn't just give corporate promises, but there are personal promises that God wants to speak over our lives as well. And these promises are meant to, to fuel our hope and inspire our faith. I mean, by a show of hands, how many of you would like to have a personal promise from the Lord Jesus spoken directly to you? I mean, most of us in here would say yes, myself included. So the question is, are there things that we can do to increase the odds of hearing one of those promises. And I think there are some things on our text that will help us work our way into that place where we can hear and then receive the promises of God. And the the first one is this. 
You've got to learn how to be led by the Spirit. And we see this in Simeon's life. In three verses, we're told three times about Simeon's relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so I suppose it makes sense that if Simeon is close with the Spirit, that God would speak his heart to those whom he's closest to. I mean, how does it work in your life? Who do you share your deepest secrets with? Well, we share them with our closest friends, right? Well, God is no different. He shares his heart with those whose walk is close. So I don't think it's a coincidence here that in verse 25, we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Then again, in verse 26, we're told that the the Spirit revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't see death until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. And then if you look at verse 27, it says that Simeon was then moved by the Spirit of God, and he went into the temple. (coughs) Excuse me. So here we have a man, Simeon, who walked with the Spirit, was filled with the Spirit, and was led by the Spirit. It was the Spirit who spoke this word of promise over his life. And it was the Spirit then, excuse me, (coughs) excuse me, who nudged him and told him to go to the temple on an appointed day at a specific time, at the exact moment when Mary and Joseph would just so happen to be walking in. I mean, how did Simeon know that the baby in the arms of this peasant woman, as she walked with the crowds and the myriads of those who were there to worship, how did he know that that was the one he'd been waiting for? I mean, the the Spirit didn't tell Simeon, it'll be easy to spot the Messiah because you'll have a halo hovering above his head. There will be a soft glow emanating from him. You'll hear angelic voices and a shaft of light will shine down upon him. Didn't go down like that. See, around that time, there were lots of people who were anticipating and looking for the Messiah, but nobody knew exactly how he was going to come. And and so there were a lot of theories out there. There were some that said he would just suddenly appear on the scene and ride into Jerusalem on the back of a horse leading an army. Others believed that he would descend from heaven from the clouds. And then there were those who taught that he would just appear there suddenly at the temple. But one thing nobody was looking for was a baby, (laughs) except Simeon. So the question is, how did he know? And the answer is given to us. It was the Spirit who told him. See, Simeon's name, it's interesting. It means to listen intelligently. I like that. That means that Simeon was tuned in and turned on to the voice of the Lord. Over many years, he had cultivated a sensitivity to the sound of God's voice. But he wasn't just listening. Notice his name means listening intelligently. So what does it mean to listen intelligently? It means that he had developed the skill of differentiating between his own thoughts and the impulses that were divinely inspired. You ever wonder, like, how do I know if it's really the Lord that's putting this on my heart or or if it's just kind of my own head? Have you ever wrestled with that thought? 
Well, to listen intelligently, to have a, a simian spirit is, is to cultivate over time and through practice a sensitivity to the Lord's voice and then a comfortability with obeying and acting on the impulses that the spirit gives to you. And you can do the same thing that he did. I mean, how easy would it have been for him to just push to the side that impulse Something in his heart on this particular moment, morning, at this exact moment, nudged him and just said, you should go to the temple. And he obeyed that prompting. He could have easily talked himself out of it. He could have said, ah, I'm old. I'm tired. And I'm hungry. And I want to stay in bed today. But he didn't. He allowed the spirit to lead him. And he was just, it was something that through years of practice, he cultivated. He was spirit-led. And I want to drive home that point because there's some of you in here that think, well, that's great for him, but God does, doesn't lead me like that. God never speaks to me like that. And, and, and what I would contend is that in reality, he's whispering to you all the time and he's, he's nudging you and he's prompting you by his Holy Spirit. But it's just that you haven't learned how to discern his voice. You haven't learned how to obey those promptings. But once you catch a glimpse of it, once you step into the flow of the spirit. This will transform your life more so than any other discipline or habit. If you can learn how to walk in the flow state of what the Holy Spirit is doing, it's so fun. The prophet Isaiah said like this. This is Isaiah 30, 21. Let's go ahead and read this out loud. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. How cool is that thought? And I can't even tell you how many times I'm sitting in a conversation, it happens almost every time, and, and I'm conversing, but I'm also listening to the, the Spirit, and, and I might have a question that I want to ask, and the Spirit will say, don't ask that question. Or he might give me a question to ask, or he might give me the, an insight into their life, and I'm able to share things that I couldn't possibly know, but they're divinely revealed by the Spirit of God, and he leads me. And, and when you live like this, you're led by the Spirit, it's like every day becomes this glorious scavenger hunt. And God's fingerprints start to show up all over your story. Every chance encounter suddenly becomes a divine encounter. <laughs> every coincidence becomes a God wink. And every day suddenly is infused with divine possibility. Who wouldn't want to live like that? That's the flow that Simeon was walking in. And if you want to receive your promise, you've got to cultivate that spirit and that heart. The second thing I would say is if you want to receive a personal promise from God, you've got to learn how to hold on to the promise. You see, there's going to be some waiting involved. Once Simeon was given the word, he held on to the promise until the day it came to pass. Now, how long did he wait? We aren't told. Was it days, months, years, decades? We don't know. But what we do know <clears throat> is that he continued to live in hopeful anticipation of its fulfillment. You see, there's always going to be a space between a promise that is given and a promise that is fulfilled. Abraham was given the promise of a son, but he had to wait 24 years before that promise was fulfilled. David was given the promise that he would succeed Saul as the next king of Israel. He had to wait 15 years for that promise to be fulfilled. The children of Israel waited 400 years 
under the, the thumb of Pharaoh before they were released into the promised land that God had spoken over them. And some of you are waiting right now. And that in-between space, man, it's, it's just an uncomfortable place to be. It's a, a difficult place to be. What are you waiting for? What promise has God spoken over you that you're waiting for? Maybe you're waiting on the results of a medical test. Some of you are waiting for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter to return home. Maybe you're waiting for a trial to end. Or maybe you're waiting for a new beginning or for a different outcome or for a baby or for the one or for the dark clouds to go away. But here you are and you're in church and you're waiting. Author Lewis Smeads once wrote, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. I, I, I think you'd agree with him in those sentiments. Waiting is hard work. But while waiting might be hard, it doesn't have to be pointless. Let me say it like this. Waiting seasons don't have to be wasted seasons. In fact, how you wait oftentimes will determine how long you end up waiting. And I think the key is understanding that while you're waiting, God is working. Hope gets developed in God's waiting room. So does perseverance. So does character. These are the things that God is forming in you during those seasons. You know, God might have you waiting tonight because you're not ready to receive your promise. And so he's still got some work that he's doing in you. Then again, God might be working on your promise and, 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 and he's getting that ready so its fulfillment can come into your life. Some of you are waiting for Mr. Wright or you're waiting for Mrs. Wright and, and you're thinking, God, what's taking so long? Well, this person has a lot of work that needs to be done on them, and they're not quite ready yet. So that can even inform the way you pray, right? Lord, I pray that you would just hurry up and fix this person so that they're ready to meet me. <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. The key in all of this is learning how to wait well. And I love this reminder. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let's, let's read this together out loud, shall we? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. When you're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, this is when the, the temptation to, to sh find a shortcut or to take matters into your own, hand, own hands, this, this is where that temptation becomes strong. But that's the very thing we must not do. Why? Because whenever we try to help God out or whenever we try to, to, to fulfill a promise on our own, we end up delaying the fulfillment of that promise. And in the process, we just make a huge mess of things. As an example of this, remember that promise I mentioned earlier that God had spoken over Abraham. You're going to have a son and he's tired of waiting and Sarah's still not pregnant. Several years have passed and so he decides to take matters into his own hands and help God out and Hagar gets involved and the world has been in a mess ever since. So the one who promised is faithful and, and this is what we hold on to. Even in the face of opposition, even when it's hard, we hold on to the hope that God has spoken this word and it must come to pass. You know, there's a subtle hint in our text that, that describes for us how to wait well and what that looks like. Because when it says that Simeon was waiting 
for the consolation of Israel. The, the word for waiting there is a very specific word in the Greek. And it is the Greek word prosdekomai, prosdekomai. So dekomai means to wait. But then when you add that prefix P-R-O-S to it, it, it speaks of a forward action. So when it says prosdekomai, it means waiting forwardly. What does that look like, to wait forwardly? As I think about it, I, I, I picture someone, Simeon in this case, standing on his tiptoes, leaning in. That's who Simeon was. He wasn't sitting back passively, but he was actively engaged, waiting in a wide-eyed wonder, filled with Holy Spirit, anticipation, longing for the day when he would encounter the one who would save Israel. He may have been old, but he wasn't just sitting around like some people just waiting to die. No, he was leaning in and actively anticipating the arrival of his king. And he knew that every day that passed, drew him one day closer to the arrival and the fulfillment of that promise. And here's what I love about that. Just as Simeon was waiting for the king to come and the Messiah of Israel to be revealed, so too we are waiting in anticipation. Simeon waited for his first coming. But we, as his children, wait for the return of the king. You see, before he left, Jesus made a promise to us as his disciples. And here's what he said. I'll read this to you. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus said, I'm coming back. And so we live with longing in our hearts. We live in anticipation of that day. Our salvation is far nearer now than when we first believed. And every day that passes draws us one day closer to the return of the king. And it's good news to know that before we even wake up tomorrow and celebrate and bring in 2023, the Lord Jesus could come back. Would that be OK with anybody in here tonight? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's close now by looking at Simeon's song. He takes the child in his arms, and he looks up, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. <laughs> I love that. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. He begins his song by acknowledging the fact that God had kept his promise. And he not only kept his promise for him, but he will keep his promises to you and in your life as well. He says, now I can depart in peace. And this is a very, again, a very specific word that is used here. And it, the metaphors are rich and nuanced. As he's talking about departing, he's saying, now I can die. But the, the word depart, it was used to describe the release of a prisoner. It was the same word that it was used to describe the untying of a ship so that it could set sail, or the tearing down of a tent so that it could be relocated, or it spoke of unyoking a burden, a beast from its burden. And in each of these pictures, we, we get a, a sense of what our translation is like from this life into the presence of the Lord. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's a graduation day, and Simeon was looking forward to it because he knew he was about to be reunited with his Lord. And so he says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. By the way, the word for salvation is Yeshua. 
The name of Jesus in his original Aramaic would have been Yeshua. I have seen my Jesus. I have seen my Savior. They are one and the same. And then he says, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And what I love about this is because of his close relationship with the Holy Spirit, Simeon had insight into the heart of God, and, and he had revelation concerning God's heart for all nations. You see, the Jews understood salvation to the Jews, but Simeon, by the Spirit, knew that, no, 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 he's a light to the Gentiles, and he's not just a Jewish Messiah, but he is the Messiah of all nations. He is the hope of the whole world. And then he turns to Mary, and he says, now, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And he's going to be a sign that will be spoken against. And that turned out to be true. Jesus is a dividing line. Some were raised up and some were brought low. He puts every person in the planet into one of two camps. You are either for him or against him. Pilate tried to wash his hands of him, but found out that you can't do that. You can't be undecided. You can't be Switzerland. You can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. He, you are either full-fledged disciple or you are against him. So he says, this is going to be his life. And then in verse 35, the thoughts of many will be revealed. And then he says this to Mary. Mary, a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. Another prophecy spoken over her that ultimately would become fulfilled on that day when Jesus hung on the cross and the Roman soldiers took a spear and thrust it into his side. And Mary, as his mother, looked up. And she saw her son hanging there. And the sword that pierced Jesus' side pierced her own heart as well. It was a prophecy about the way Jesus would die. So he says this, and then he just disappears. But the lessons that he taught us remain. You see, Simeon's a powerful example about what it means and what it looks like to hear a promise from God and then just take it at face value and believe it. Then he shows us how to live every single day of our lives being led by the Spirit of God, living in hopeful anticipation until we see the fulfillment of that promise. And that's how each and every one of us ought to be living. There is a promise with your name on it. God wants to speak to you personally. He wants to speak to you specifically. Yes, <clears throat> We have 7,000 promises in this book, and every one of them is a blank check that we can take to the bank and we can stand on, and these promises are for our edification and for our encouragement. They build us up and they fortify us. And yet, I truly believe that there are personal words that God wants to speak to his people, his children. He wants to whisper in your ear. He wants to lead you on the divine scavenger hunt. And so in this upcoming year, we're going to be praying through the promises of God. We're going to be claiming the promises of God. We're going to be standing on the promises of God. And we're going to be listening as the Lord might speak a promise to our hearts. And then we're going to take it for what it is. We're going to believe it until we receive it. Because he never goes, makes a promise that he can't keep. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this incredible time that we've had to spend together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. 
that you're with us in the peaks and in the valleys, in the good times as well as the hard times. And I sense that you're here with us tonight. And you're whispering promises into the ears of your kids. Lord, as we move into this time now of celebrating at the Lord's table as as we rehearse and remember your sacrifice, the price that was paid to purchase us, redeem us, declare us righteous in your sight. I I pray, Lord, that we we would be sensitive and we would lean in, that we would pray and consider that you're here and that you're real and, and this isn't a fairy tale and, and, and this isn't a myth and this isn't a legend and, and this isn't just seven steps to a happier life, but this is a vital living relationship with a personal God who wants to speak to his kids' hearts. And I pray that we might receive those promises tonight, Lord. We're open, we're listening, we're watching, we're anticipating, we're waiting. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.